Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 224, We Are Gods, We Are As Gods. This week, we're discussing the series finale of Battlestar Galactica, Daybreak Part 3, and season 7, episode 16 of Buffy, Storyteller. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Um, I'm really disappointed that you didn't sing that, Kat. I said I wasn't um, going to. You did. You warned me, but I'm still disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, we're going to finish up BSG. Like, for good. Crazy. Well, I mean, we've still got, like, two more episodes that we're going to be talking about it for. Sure. But but the final uh, television series broadcast episode. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk At about least today. television. Yes. Not even the last, like, universe thing broadcast. Like, there's still... Right, right. There's Just still like the, the plan. Series. There's other things and stuff, but yes, the last episode of the right, and we're not even going to get into the Caprica like spinoffs and all that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, no. Um, but before we do that, you had a note that you just. Uh, about something you just learned, I guess. Yes, just in the moments before we started recording, I saw on Twitter that uh, Donnelly Rhodes who played Doc Cottle, just passed away today, I think. Um, so that is a shame here on our last episode mm. to kind of, you know, I mean, he was 80. He wasn't, you know, that's not super, super old. It's not super young either, but, you know, that's a shame to hear that. And, uh, yeah, he was a good character that I think we really at least I enjoyed his part in the show I think you did too I think we enjoyed his smoking and his curmudgeonly ways so um since that is breaking news just wanted to share that of course with our delay it won't be breaking by the time people actually hear that. This is true. It's breaking to us it's breaking now. right now. Um, so, on yeah. January 8th. Well, and I mean, you know, not not that it's not sad, but um, we say a lot of goodbyes in this episode, too. So Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely feels like, you know, I don't want to say it feels fitting, but certainly, like, as we're saying goodbye to the characters, it's, you know, in keeping with the end of the show to kind of mention and like so Connell shows up in this episode again which we kind of farewelled him in the last one I think kind of forgetting that mm. he comes back but only for like a couple minutes you know so um yeah I think the real farewell to Cottle was Rosalind's you know her kind of mm. more um like heartfelt um expression of her gratitude for for what he'd done and everything so um you know, so even though he does pop up here, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say about Coddle as a character, really. Um, I think we kind of 
did that last time. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, before we get into some of those various goodbyes, um, we do have some conflict to resolve, um, which is uh, one, one way or another, I suppose, um, it gets resolved. Uh, yeah, so we've got uh, sort of a, we're, we're left with sort of a uneasy truce, right? A, a trade of sorts. Um, Ty and the other final five will give Cavill and Doral and Simon uh, the secrets of resurrection if uh, they will hand over Hera. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, there's, you know, there's some sort of like explanation of what's going on and this and that, and they bring in Sam and, um, you know, you get sort of like the hand waving, like techno babble, like, oh, they're going to, you know, stick their hands in put there. Put their and hands somehow in the goo. All, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going to, they're going to put their hands in the goo and download the instructions to yeah. the resurrection you know, technology, um, which is all well and good. I mean, not that BSG hasn't at times just sort of done a fair share of hand-waving. Yes, right. Um, yeah, that that's definitely an, an instance of that, yeah. But we get, um, the interesting piece here is that, like, this is, like, a new interfacing. Like, this is, like, something they haven't done before, it seems. Um, at least not in in the show like right if they did it it was like thousands of years ago right like since they've realized who they are and everything so um well and it kind of seems like up until now i guess since she downloaded ellen's the only one who really has active memories of her entire life her entire existence whereas the others they might have glimpses, snippets here and there, but it kind of seems like this is reawakening those memories for the first so, time in a way. So this brings up a good, yeah, that's a good point. Cause like, I, yeah, like, I guess I sort of assume, not that we were, were ever told this or anything. So this is definitely sort of an assumption on my part, but I sort of assume that since they, we're on earth and we're getting like those flashbacks and stuff that they had sort of been getting more and more acclimated and mm. remembering more and more. Um, maybe not that they remember everything like Ellen does. Cause she's the only one who actually is resurrected. Right. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there's something in that process. Mm -hmm. um, similar to like, maybe like Boomer, like losing right. her sleeper, you know, personality or whatever, like, Right. In in being resurrected. Um but I guess I just sort of assume that like, yeah, they did like regain more of those memories than maybe we're not told that, so I that's definitely Well, and maybe they were starting to in bits and pieces, but yeah. hadn't fully, you know, completely remembered everything in the way that Ellen seems to have. Um She's still kind of the leader in terms of knowing how the technology works and 
all that kind of thing. So I kind of take that to mean that she remembers the most. Um, mm. But yeah, um, I so, guess so. I guess the one part is recovering their own memories, or at least a full picture of their own memories. But also then interfacing and sharing with each other. Um, right. Well, and so this is where the problem comes in, is that. Um, I forget who even says it, um, you know, saying like, oh, we're going to we're going to know things. Basically, we're going to know everything about each other. Right. right. Like, it's, it's Tori. And she's like, um, she's hedging. Well, I think right? it's Ellen who actually <laughs> says who says it at first. Right. Like, Ellen, now for a moment, we're going to know oh, everything right. there is to know about one another. And, and Ty, you know, says sort of sarcastically, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And then Tori says, well, there's certain things that we've all done. Let's just remember we're all capable of making mistakes. Yeah. Um, and Ty sort of brushes out. Like, he's probably thinking like, oh, we're going to find out, you know, you slept with someone or, you know, like something relatively innocuous, but like maybe is embarrassing or mildly like mm -hmm. shocking, but not like I killed Callie. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Stone cold murdered somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so part of that too, is not just like, cause the way Ellen says it isn't just like, Oh, we're going to know what everyone has done. It's we're going to know everything there is to know about mm -hmm. one another. And reading into that, to me, that's like not just actions, not just like history, but also like thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. and, you know, how, how you even see each other. Like, so, I mean, obviously Callie is the easy, like, externality that we can sort of point to and say like this is clearly you know uh, a case of uh uh tory you know doing something evil but like how much of it you know so i so long story short right is they all learn that tory killed callie and and uh tyrell snaps and chokes her to death mm -hmm. and, you know uh things get heated from there. Um, but like, I wonder how much of it too is not just that like that came out, like that action came out, but also that like you, like we've seen Tori's sort of like contempt and sort of almost like from immediately becoming or realizing that she's a Cylon and being faced with like, the ability to leave the fleet and like she sort of like ditches Roslyn and like goes to the base ship and mm -hmm. like like there's a sort of contempt that she has and it it doesn't just extend to like the humans like it kind of extends to her other fellow final five mm -hmm. in a way um and so i not to say that like her killing Callie isn't like maddening enough and like would set Tyrell off but I wonder like how much of that like like it would be different if it was like a mercy killing mm -hmm. or like you know that she just didn't want people to find out because like 
they might take it the wrong way. But like if they knew how she felt about it or that it was a hard decision or that, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like you could, you could imagine circumstances where like she killed Callie, but like maybe there was a forgivability to it, mm-hmm. but this isn't that mm-hmm. right. Like it's the callousness. It's the coldness. It's right. not just that she kills her. It's that they know what she was thinking about and why she was doing it. And all of the, you know, other sort of emotional and, thought responses um that go along with it and that's kind of what i get when i hear ellen say we're going to know everything there is to know Mm -hmm. it's not just we're gonna know what you did last summer it's we (laughs) we're gonna know like how you were feeling and the reasons behind it and you know how you feel about it now and all of that kind of stuff right sure yeah no i don't think i'd ever really thought about it that way but that makes sense that like Tori's been from a kind of there's been disunity among the final five but it's more like disagreement about what their right action should be there hasn't necessarily been I think Tori's the obvious outlier in terms of like motivation of Mm. um not wanting to integrate the fleet's at all um or kind of looking out for number one now that that sometimes that means Cylon over human or final five over everybody but also it can just mean herself too like yeah I'm thinking of the part in earlier when Ellen's kind of explaining that going after Hera isn't just about doing the right thing for one particular child which it is but also like there are wider implications for the survival of the species and everything. And, and, you know, Tori's response, even to that, even when the Cylon future is at stake, her response is what good does that do me? You know, Mm -hmm. like if I risk my life, okay, well then I'm sacrificing my individuality for the future of, you know, the, the Cylon nation or whatever they call it. Um, So like, it's not even always Cylon over all else. It's more kind of Tory over everything else. Um, so yeah, in that way, I guess it is kind of a reaction or like retribution for, you know, her philosophy, not just like one specific action. Um, Which, I mean, the other thing that's interesting, right, is that, whatever they do remember about their past lives like Tyrrell and Tori were supposedly like in love right at one point like in the ancient past right that you know there's but it's not like like whatever that was they certainly didn't recover it yeah. This is this isn't a Xander and Anya moment that we'll talk about in the next episode yeah. of you yeah. still love me, right? Like Right. You right. know, we still spark. <laughs> That's not the case here. Um Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure what conclusions to make about all that. Like Yeah, you I'm know, not either. I I mean I think it's kind of notable that um after the flashbacks of 
Boomer and Tyrrell earlier in like the Daybreak episodes, the final kind mm. of Tyrrell flashback is a Callie memory. Um, sure. Which, okay, like he's thinking about her because she was brought up. So that kind of makes sense. But also like you could take that as saying like that's finally like like the, the last thought that we see him, you know, the last person we see him actively like thinking about or remembering is Callie. So if he had like these three you know, lovers at different points. You could kind of say, like, is that saying, like, Callie was really the true, you know, well, the true love all along? I, I'm, I don't know whether I'm troubled or intrigued or what to do with the motif of violence against women that pops mm. up with Tyrrell occasionally. Like, not to say that's all he is. Obviously, there's a lot more to his character than that. And all of the instances have, like, circumstances where, you know, you have to take them in context and everything. But it's hard not to, especially, like, re-watching it, you know, it's hard not to see that at various points. Like, and, and I kind of, for all that she, you know, I don't know if deserve is the right word, but for all that it's like a response to Tori's own evil actions, it's still a pretty brutal way that he, you know, takes her out in the end. Um, and and nobody tries to stop him. Yeah. Yeah. E- even the other Cylon, like even Ellen and Ty. Right. And, right. and Ty which, kind of like... It exonerates it in the end, like oh, well, that's what well, I, it yeah, was, that's what I was just. I would say, have done like, the same, and then he kind of skips off, not happily, but he gets his kind of quote somewhat happy ending off, like in the Scottish Highlands or wherever it is that yeah. he's off to. Well, so, well, it, so that's kind of a like I'm not quite sure what to do with that, you know. And and going back to what you were saying, like, do we look at Callie as like? you know, Tyrrell's sort of, like, soulmate, ultimate soulmate or whatever, like, mm-hmm. is that... Because, like, you know, we've talked before, like, about how we don't necessarily believe his ranting when he's, like, calling her, like, whatever. Like, right, whatever. She smells like cabbage or whatever, and... like, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> or whatever. I don't even remember like what he said. It says was exactly. something like that. Yeah. 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 Like, boiled cabbage or something. Yeah. And so like, like how we talked about like like we don't necessarily believe him in those instances. But like, yeah, I don't know that I can go the other way and say like that she was his like ultimate soulmate. Right. Either, right. Which, which, which is how we're meant. I think. With Ellen and Ty, who I think we are meant to see as some kind of soulmates. I mean, right. not that they're for like necessarily. For better or worse, they are. Yeah, they not are that they're for good each other. Yeah. together yeah. for each other or anyone else. Right. But like, but there's definitely a sense where, like, you know, for what it's worth, if it happened to Cal, if if what happened to Callie had happened to Ellen, then I'd have done the same fracking thing. Says Ty, who killed Ellen. I just have to point that out. Just for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> I Yeah, I just... I, I agree with you. I, I guess all that say, I agree. Like, 
I agree that I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> like, because they're, I, I don't, I think it's too far to go in the extreme either way. Either that she's his, his ultimate soulmate or that like, you know, I don't know. I don't even know like what, where to go. And I also don't think that the intent from like a writing point of view is to say what Tyrrell does is a hundred percent correct either. No, well, it I, puts I, everything in jeopardy, and it well, it exactly like ruins the, the piece. Yes, right. Like it's so it's this idea of they're about to have a peaceful, you know, mutual resolution to something, and it's his inability to control his violent temper that for, like sends for as much everything as you into can, a tailspin literally for as much as you can trust and believe cavill it seems to be yes. going as well as it possibly could and sure case. yes um yeah I, I yeah i agree and but i mean at the same time like not the first time that we've seen tyrell sort of fly off the handle and mm -hmm beat the crap out of someone or even kill someone well is it him or Hilo who technically kills the um thorn guy i think it was him was it i think it was he Cheryl. like pulls, pulls yeah. him off of yeah and like throws his like head like rams his head against a wall or something right like yeah. so yeah in the heat of like passion or whatever like mm -hmm. he yeah, again, not the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um so Yeah, I don't I mean and it does screw everything up. So like almost immediately uh Doral, I think it is, who calls out like, "Oh, they're backing out or it's a trap or no, it's a trap is uh Admiral Akbar. Um God, <laughs> God rest his soul. But uh Oops, spoilers. Uh, no, yeah, like he calls out that, like, yeah, like the, the, something, something to the effect of, you know, they're not fulfilling their promise, and um, that's that. You don't yell that out in the heat of battle. They're not fulfilling their promises. <laughs> um, whatever it is that he yells, I think out he says it's a trick or something a, like that. Oh, a trick. See, that's where I was getting mixed up. Yeah, not a trap. It's a trick. It's a trick. And. And yeah, I mean, then then guns go off and um, yeah. kind of going all over the place. Uh, yeah. Just one one last Doral note. I love that shot of him rolling his eyes at his own dead body. I think that's a really like that. <laughs> yeah. the, like the, this this part of the episode starts with like dead Doral, and then it pans up to live Doral, who's just like, oh, God, <laughs> like yeah, not again. Anyway. <laughs> right there's never enough doral from my opinion but um and it's funny because like he kind of just is out of the picture for like the longest time yeah i know and he's so good I um right because he's there in the beginning yeah and like you know yeah yeah and he kind of him. fades and as other of... ones sort of take over and then yeah he kind of just drops back but then like it's suddenly like oh yeah he's still here Mm -hmm. um maybe the actor was busy yeah maybe he got other gigs um in the meantime but uh yeah so 
Right, you get the shootout, and you get Cavill killing himself. I'm not going to be taken prisoner, I guess. Um, which is kind of a... I mean, a little bizarre, given he's the one who wanted the resurrection mm-hmm. in the you know in the first place. So, like, it has to be pretty bleak for him to want to take himself out. Mm-hmm. Seems like. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's like the the nihilism of his point of view of you know, sure. Which I guess is a little paradoxical. Like for the one who's the most invested in resurrection because he doesn't believe in anything, he's the one who gives up in the end and just says, you know, frack it, and that's it. You know, kind of right. just takes care of it himself. Um, and then. Racetrack arming those nukes before getting killed. Yep. Just kind of puts everything... There to blow stuff up, even in the end. Yep. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, right, the the ship gets bombarded with nuclear weapons. They have to jump. You got Starbuck uh, doing the music thing. And like converting notes to numbers and mm-hmm. typing in coordinates. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know how much to talk through all of that, but uh, I guess other than just to say, like the the clear association with the hybrid there at the end, where she says "jump," mm. and it jumps. Um, yeah. Well, and there's. I, I, you know, I don't think they ever explicitly connect it, but um, it seems to me that that's the whole reason that the CIC is an opera house, right? Is like the 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 music connection that like this mm. is the the place where the the you know destiny is expressed in music. Um, you know. Yeah, I actually hadn't even thought of that that opera house connection, I guess. Um, Which I think it's like not really very much in your face because like most of the opera house stuff is like earlier. So it's like, by the time this happens, you've kind of like forgotten about that. Um, But sure. Although it's really, I mean, I mean, if you watch, it it feels a long time ago because because it was last episode, but like, yeah. (laughs) Um, But Um, I don't think time wise, like if we were just watching, you know straight through one episode into the next like i don't i don't know that it's that far apart yeah um but yeah yeah, and i mean like regardless ever ever since the i I guess it's kind of the fulfillment of the music motif like in the show like ever since the that first opera house reveal you know the kind of slightly supernatural form that music takes this mm-hmm. is kind of the ultimate like th- this is the the final end point of that like you know and dovetailing with Kara's special destiny um not to mention Adama's echo of Kane with his like just blind jump anywhere you know plug in mm-hmm. whatever numbers you can think of like oh uh, yeah you know um Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, uh, 
known destruction versus, you know, the possibility of like getting out alive. Right, which is exactly the, the gamble that Kane made. Yeah. Um so yeah, so they jump. And where do they jump to? Earth, of course. Or, you know, a sure. planet we're going to call Earth. Yes. Um Yeah, well, all right. And I wanna talk about that for a minute about like the Earth but not Earth aspect of it. Um Because I kind of like that exchange between Rosalind and Adama about, um, is it Earth? <laughs> they kind of laugh. Like, we're going we, I like the way that Adama just kind of frames it as, like, it's Earth because I say it is, damn it. Mm -hmm. Like, because, like, we've been on this, you know, road too long and... Uh, and I feel entitled to it. And so if I get to name the planet, that's what we're going to call it. Um, which I think it's a way of kind of like, I don't know. I'm sure there are people that probably are annoyed by that, but I like the fact that it both is and isn't the earth that they were looking for. Um, like it is a habitable planet. It is the home that they were searching for. But it's not strictly the mythical Earth of their scripture. Like, they found that, and it was a wasteland. This is mm. something else. Um, you know. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I actually do like it. It's um, probably one of my favorite parts of the episode, actually, is mm -hmm. that whole discussion of, you know, Earth is a dream one we've been chasing for a long time we've earned it um i like it one because it you know it it closes that loop from the miniseries of we're gonna find earth and like yeah 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 we found like the historical earth but like we didn't find earth we didn't mm. find the promise of earth right right like that right what earth is supposed to mean and represent right yeah um and also because when he says that way back in the beat, like he admits, like, I don't know where Earth is and it doesn't matter. Like at that point, Earth literally is a dream. Like there's no even possibility of finding Earth mm -hmm. in Adama's eyes. So like, I think for him to sort of like, <clears throat> you know, like, check that box i guess like mm -hmm. like this was like if if there was like there were a lot of like little tasks to be done along the way but like this was like the big like mm -hmm. ultimate goal right like find earth and earth being a metaphor for some place where we can let our people live and you know procreate and make babies, you know, safely and mm -hmm. relatively securely. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I do like it. I think I think it I think it fits both sort of Adama Adama's practical side and his more dreamer side, mm -hmm. right? Of 
Because I think we see both of that throughout the series. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah, so they magically jump here. Um, by Kara, uh, you know, transposing notes into numbers from the dots that Hera gave her. Mm -hmm. Now, so here's a question. I don't, we didn't really talk about this at the time, but like, is, is Hera hearing like the same kind of music then that like the other, the final five are hearing? I don't know. I don't know that they ever address that one way or the other. Yeah. I don't know either. Like I and I don't really think there's a lot of evidence to I like I think you could say that, but I don't know that you could prove or disprove it based on like the text of the episodes and everything. Sure. I mean, you know, the other thing is she's a hybrid of a kind. So is is there mm -hmm. more of like a Sam thing going on where she's somehow tapped into like the music or the whatever of the universe like the right. underlying you know yeah whatever is there um yeah you know. no i think so I, I, and i think they do kind of allude to that at least at some point like i can't remember when ellen at some point says like basically that same thing that she's connected to something on you know a, a higher level than even the final five are it it's almost like a like a synesthesia right like you know hear hearing in colors kind of mm. thing like you know where there's like sort of multiple senses maybe going on there and you know her coloring mm -hmm. is sort of the way that it comes out but it's representative of something different than the actual colors and patterns on the paper. Sure. Right. And it, ex right. And it expresses itself in different forms. Like, you know, it, it, you get the, the kind of more spiritual manifestation in like the dreams and the visions and the music. Um, but then the music becomes the medium to, apply that into the more physical scientific side of things because music being very mathematical to begin with, like mm. it, it has one foot in art, but also a foot in like math and science. And so that's like what Starbuck can translate into as like plug in these coordinates and the ship will physically go where it's supposed to go. Um, so it's sort of like the same, you know, whatever this sort of divine message is, is like being interpreted on all these different, they're kind of all the same message, but it has to be translated into different mediums, I guess. Sure. Um, okay, so, so they arrive here and they come here. So let's talk about 
Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about Earth as the like dream, but like mm. let's talk about the actual planet that they find. Like, mm. what is it? What do, what do they find there? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, the long story short is that like I think we're meant to imply that it's our Earth, right? right. Like, this is the viewers' Earth, finally, right? Um, right. Africa being the kind of giveaway, right? Like when they kind of pull up the first shot of the planet, like the continent of Africa is very prominent. Um, so I think you're meant to get to that even before we get to the epilogue. I think you're supposed to be at least clued in, if not sure that this is our earth. And by kind of showing the, you know, the the level of development of the human civilizations that they find, it kind of finally answers the question from the beginning of like, when does this story take place? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's in the past, obviously, um, but you didn't necessarily know that until now. I mean, they could have shown up and found like us you know like in our current state of development or they could have shown up and it's you know the far um future which i think is the first implication is that their earth was our earth and that this is a more advanced futuristic civilization with light travel and space travel like all that kind of thing um Mm. but um so it finally kind of settles on the decision there. Yeah. Which I guess, um, is that a little bit of a Star Wars connection? Um, if I can, you know, I feel nervous speaking about Star Wars when, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea of a futuristic seeming space traveling civilization that took place a long long time ago that like yeah. this is supposed to be the galaxy far far away right yeah. this is supposed to be the past but your assumption is that they must be in the future just because of their technology um seems like i'd be very surprised if this wasn't influenced by that idea sure yeah I mean, there there could certainly be a connection made there, I think. Um, and more than just the space operatic nature of kind of both mm-hmm. stories. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, so then the other th- the other question becomes like. They find, oh, look, we just happen to find these, um, I guess we don't, we're, I think we're meant to assume that these are, because we get the reference, so I'm jumping ahead to the epilogue, we get the reference to mitochondrial mm. right? So, like, are the people 
Homo sapiens? Like, are is, are question. they like whatever? Are they like are the are like the people of the Galactica and the colonies and the Cylons, whatever? Are they the missing link? Right, like, is there? Right. <laughs> are they the ones that like? Nobody can figure out like how we got from point A to point B right. in the right. like in in sort in of the the evolutionary, evolutionary chain. Yeah. Um, sure. I mean, I guess so. I don't feel like I really know enough about it to. Yeah, and like, I don't either. So I like maybe that's even a ridiculous thing to say. Like, so someone who knows more can, you know, write a comment on the post and. Yeah. Be like you're stupid, Curtis. Don't say stuff like that. <laughs> you're showing your ignorance. Um, but yeah, like I just, I, like those are. That's just sort of like no, but that seems like wonder, a but, fair assumption. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but even the fact that like, oh, we've analyzed their DNA somehow from afar. Like, oh no, no, what, he, what, found, he finds he, found he finds the remains right like right. and they oh and the important thing is that they bury their dead right um showing that there's at least some kind of respect and ritual yeah to you know whatever yeah um right they're not they're you know i mean they're obviously not animals they're they're people but they're they're showing more like signs of you know Culture more almost. like right right yeah um yeah like you know, civic responsibility and, you know, like rudimentary though it may and everything. Be. Yeah. 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 Uh, right. So the question becomes, is this, or at least the question I have is like, how, like how could they possibly be, you know, compatible in that way? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Oh, you know, it's astronomical, but God, um, <laughs> which, okay, like, fine, right. like, that gets into one of my criticisms, maybe, of this final episode a little bit. Um, sure. The literal deus in machina. Mm. Um, but some of the, so one of the things that I think about is, you know, when they're, like, could this be, like, another colony or like an offshoot of the earth colony mm -hmm. that like has devolved that mm. has like you know lost their tech technological whatever you know prowess that they had mm -hmm. um, maybe they crash landed somewhere you know hundreds of thousands of years ago or whenever mm -hmm. and or even thousands of years ago. And like, these are like the, yeah, like right. they sort of primitive, not primitive in like in historical terms, but like they've lost the technology and this is like, right. You know, that. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's a good point because you have to assume that to a certain extent, that's what's going to happen to the colonists, right? Because yeah. civilization doesn't and start kind of from, explicitly. Right. Civilization doesn't start from this point. Like Lee can now and we should talk about Lee's clan. Lee can talk about how we'll give them 
all of like he gives his kind of like slightly colonialist you know kind of you know white man's burden speech about how we're going to bring them all of our our wonderful art and technology and culture and language and all this stuff but that can't be what happens no because we like if we're assuming this is consistent with history as we know it you know civilization comes out from this point of the tribal people not from right. the the colonies now i think the implication is definitely that they contribute to that like i think the idea that the greco-roman pantheon originates with the religion that's brought with with the kind of you know yeah. colonials is is in there but it's right. not like these like, are the people who who show the phoenicians how to make letters sure right right like right so the, there's definitely like certain similarities in belief or culture we're supposed to take as like okay we can trace it back to these people who brought those ideas and yet you know um they don't just suddenly advance human technology by millennia overnight. Like it seems more like they get assimilated into earth culture rather right. than the other way around. Um, which well, I guess is kind of playing all with of this, like... uh, all this will happen before, all this has happened before theme of how much do they clearly forget about their culture and their tradition and their history that doesn't get passed down maybe in stories and in memories and in, you know, religion or mythology or whatever, but not necessarily as written recorded history that we can learn from. Well, and which is an interesting thing, because like the whole idea of memory. Like if the final five and the other Cylons like all forgot about their past on Earth and whatever, and then repeated, right? Like, re retain the cycle. Then, like, then, like, it's that sort of it's that loss of knowledge and and memory and awareness that seems to lead to the cycle continuing. Um, Which is, and I guess I when we I get ever, to the, I don't think I ever really fully thought this through to this extent. It makes it a bleaker ending than I'd ever really well, read it before, I think. Well, I agree. And so I think you're getting, I, I think, right. I think from the sort of artistic, like, Tyrrell kind of going off, like you said, like to whatever, the Scottish Highlands or wherever he's going, like, kind of like, like he's going on retreat and that's just where he's going to die. He's like Luke. In you know, going to his little island. Right. I'm going to go be, a, I need to be away from people. Yeah. Like, um, forever. <laughs> which is also what Adama kind of does, right? right? Like, right. Um, yeah. And so, like, you kind of get, like, these little pockets of people just kind of going off by themselves. And, like, there's talk of, like, oh, we'll split up into even groups and, like, give everyone some supplies to, like, kind of do whatever. But, like you said, like, they don't, like, that's not where, like, society and colonies, like, oh, it, it, oh, and we'll give everyone, like, you know, 
coordinates of where everyone else is going. But like, how that useful clearly, is that gonna like, be? Yeah. yeah, that doesn't matter. Like once like the ship stops running or whatever, and like here, you know, like here's why we haven't run across like you know here's why we haven't excavated a big ass starship, you know, in the plains of Africa somewhere right. because we put it into the sun. Well, but what about like all the raptors they seem to be flying around with everywhere? Mm. Like, sure. <laughs> where did those go? <laughs> Are those like in the mounds of like Peru or something? Like, right. You know, I don't know. So there's like, and also like, is it really is it really better to have like pockets of like a thousand people rather than like a single like city of ten thousand people or however i don't even know how many people are left at this point but right yeah whatever the numbers are and they like, say like 30 something thousand or whatever yeah like whatever the number is like is it really better to split all these people up like that's not that big of a city mm-hmm. when like you're the only city in the world right <laughs> um and then I, so my mind also goes to like how exactly are they like finding like their mates in the native population like Mm. you would have to think that the natives would be rather scared of them Mm -hmm. and wouldn't become willingly you know whatever so is there something more nefarious going on here sure in sort of the uh you know reproductive scheme that they have Mm -hmm. um and also it brings up the question of like then how does Hera become mitochondrial Eve if there's like 30,000 other people from Galactica spread all over the world? Right, right. <laughs> and? Well, and here's where I don't understand evolutionary science well enough because I, I did watch something about this fairly recently and there was some explanation that went completely over my head about how mitochondrial Eve isn't necessarily a single person. It's, you know, it's more than a metaphor. It's like definitely real, but it's not necessarily like there's one person who is the direct, you know, grandmother of everybody. Um, And so I wish I kind of could explain or articulate that a little bit more to see how consistent might that be or not be with what they show here um yeah but i'm not even gonna try i think for me the more important point about hera being singled out is the blending of the human and the cylon the fact that like Mm -hmm. cylon dna is part of the human race like our human race as we know it and have it now like that's the implication is that we are all part Cylon because Hera and by extension, the Cylon race mingled with our ancestors and um, that's where we came from. So that's kind of, to me more, I don't know whether that, I doubt that makes good science, but like from a story point of view, I think that's why Hera becomes like singled out in that way. Um, so, and also just while we're on Hera and mitochondrial Eve, they refer to her 
as a young woman. Mm. Meaning that's when she died because that's the remains they found. Mm. I never thought of that before. So, like, mm. she doesn't live very long, apparently. Which, you know, you wouldn't <laughs> if you're if you're in a you so know, they primitive threw all society. their antibiotics into the sun. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like, well, so this is where, like, this is where there's, like I'm saying, like, you're getting, like, there's, like, a tension between, or a cognitive dissonance between, like, the idyllic and the practical, mm. right? Like, like, it's nice, it's, it's great for Lee to, like, this is where maybe, like, you get some, like, pie in the sky... We won't say, like, what type of politician it might be, but, like, maybe has more egalitarian, you know, uh, uh, beliefs than maybe practical beliefs, we'll we'll say, um, if we put it that way, where you get, like, Lee as representative of that, you mean? Yeah, like, if, if we, you know, we can all just, like, start over and like we'll all live happy without cities and without like creature comforts like you know heat and and you know i don't even know yeah antibiotics or whatever like there's a certain privilege in that Mm -hmm. of course right and like but like how how uh how humane is that really when it's like now people are like having to like fight to like build their own shelters and like hunt animals and like I don't know it's just like like okay yeah it sounds nice to like let's get let's all get back to nature and whatever but you know what nature sucks it's like the wind's howling outside right now and it's like 10 degrees below zero and there's yeah three feet of snow outside my door I don't like give me a freaking battle star with heat and light and you know a mess hall like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so I I forget you know, who pointed this out in some blog or review or whatever but um so I don't know who to give credit to but somebody pointed out um someone like Nikki who has kidney failure might need some dialysis yeah. Like, and surely he's not the only one, right? Like, I, I, it's, it's a more extreme version of what you're saying of like, this is going to cost lives. Um, yeah. Which, I, it's really interesting because on the one hand, I want to blame the idealistic writing on like the writers of like, you're not thinking this through and Lee is their mouthpiece and he's kind of saying what they think is the correct decision of let's just leave all this stuff behind and, you know, get back to nature and it's all going to be great. And, you know, give them the kind of happy walk off into the sunset ending. On the other hand, I can't but notice there are these little details that you're pointing out. Like the fact that they say that Hera's remains were, young or the fact that like it does seem that 
they get assimilated, they regress in a way back to, you know, these, you know, more, I guess, primitive cultures or whatever that like, I don't know, like maybe those hints are a little bit more deliberate that it at least opens up the possibility that this is not the smartest decision (laughs) that like, you know, um, that they are going to forget and, you know, lose their, you know, the advantages that they've brought with them and everything. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. But it certainly opens up, I think, like, my overwhelming impression the first, when I first watched it, was more that kind of idealism and, um, like, contentment and hopefulness at the ending. Whereas, like, talking it through, I'm seeing more ways in which they introduce some ambiguity to it. Um, You know, and a hint at things maybe not going as well as the characters are imagining they will. So, um, yeah, I mean, we kind of covered like the whole like settlement plan there, which is to like throw everything we have into the sun. Kind of. Um, Including Sam. (laughs) Including Sam. We're done with Sam. Throw him in the sun. Which. Yeah. It's not even really clear to me to what extent he is aware. I don't know. I, I actually got the. I mean. I guess he is. So, like, the goodbye to Starbuck. Sure. Like, there's at least a moment, and now, like, is this, like... Right, there's a moment An of awakening kind of thing, like, yeah. like, just a momentary relapse to his, you know, former... Right. ...cognizant self. Um, possibly. Um, but there's also, like, like, if he's truly connected... Like, because he seems to know... Sure, he has like what wants to ha- like he participates in things. the battle, yeah. right? Like he yeah. he is able to like go like help like talk to the hybrids and stuff and get them to do what needs to be done and Sure. Um you know, presumably one of the other final five like reached in the goo and told them what to do. Um mm-hmm. So, you know, and he seems okay with it because, like, if he wasn't, then they wouldn't have flown. He wouldn't have flown the actual, you know, ships into the sun. So, like, definitely seems to be complicit mm-hmm. um, and aware of what's going on uh, to some degree or other. And I guess with all of that, it's it just like, okay, well then like I guess like he's cool with it, and then like what else can you say against it? Sure. Like it does seem kind of weird though. Especially given like they even do like the the like 
overlaying the audio of like his um interview right of Mm. like being in touch with the universe it's like if this is what he was really always looking for why would he give that up Mm. i don't know sure um maybe maybe he just orbited the sun for like a few thousand years to like stay in, in touch with the universe enjoy it for a little yeah, while may, yeah maybe like the loophole is that like i never said when i would fly <laughs> into the sun i just said i would do it yeah um but i don't know like that's good i like that idea yeah <laughs> like he's like he yeah, goes for a little i'm gonna look, i'm gonna go for a spin but then i'll yeah. and then i'll take well, care of it i mean we know like he can't go ftl so like yeah it's gonna be a long trip anyway yeah like he can't he can't jump right because like the Galactica would get destroyed mm-hmm. but like yeah you know maybe maybe take a long trip around maybe stop by take a take a look at venus and mercury on the way in you know <laughs> chill for a bit commune with the universe um see yeah. now i'm kind of wishing that that had been the ending of like Sam's just going to fly away. You know, like we don't, we don't want the fleet. He wants the fleet. Just let him go. Like, and he just like, just takes off Yeah. to who knows where. Takes the slow route to, yeah. yeah. Beetlejuice or wherever. Like. Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Um. Yeah, so, all right, so, like, speaking of, like, people who say goodbye to, or kind of who we say goodbye to, because it's really for our benefit that we, like, see all these people again, they don't care. Um, (laughs) They're off doing their things, right? Like, like, you get the, like, final, like, Hilo, Athena, and Hera. And so, again, here, like, here's the other, like, cognitive dissonance, right? Like, oh, we're a happy family unit. We're going to teach you how to hunt and do this and that. But we know Hera dies at a young, <laughs> as a young woman. Like, oh, I hope she doesn't get, like, killed in a hunt. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, crap. Um, yeah, no, like, I mean, you know, yeah. do Hilo and Athena have other kids? Like, does Hera have any little siblings? Like, do they intermingle? Like, I don't know. Um, um, I did want to point out the kind of surprise appearance of Hilo, though, um, just because I think especially when you've seen it before, you, it's easy to forget that, like, when you're the first time you're watching it, all you know is that he gets left to kind of bleed out on the floor while Athena is chasing after Hera, and then you don't see him again until that last appearance at the end. So um, kind of a little you know, bonus, you know, happy twist that, you know, he's okay in the end, or at least in the short term. Right. Um, so, yeah. But I, I like there's not much to say about them other than that, right? Like it's just kinda like, okay, we see them. They seem to be doing all right and bye. Uh 
we get Ellen, Ty, and Tyrrell. And as we've already mentioned, Tyrrell kind of goes off on his own. Mm-hmm. Ellen and Ty go off on their own somewhere. and It's mm-hmm. kind of the end of them. Um, Lee and Starbuck. Uh, we didn't really talk about any of the flashbacks here. And I don't know, like... I've kind of poo-pooed the flashbacks all along. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know that they're a big deal here. I guess theirs is a little more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee almost stole his brother's girlfriend again. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, ultimately does kind of. Uh, sure. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is where it starts to get weird. Right, like hmm. with Starbucks, the Lee, yeah, the Lee and Starbucks stuff. Like this is like our first hint that, like, yeah, there's some, there's some more weirdness to come. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like, like, there's just that last scene. Like, well, we didn't really talk about Adama and Rosalind. But, like, we'll get to them next. But, like, Adama comes carrying Rosalind and, like, puts her in a ship and is like, yeah, I'm taking this ship. See ya. <laughs> bye, bye, Dad. I don't have a lot of time, son. I gotta go. Like, yeah. I don't have a lot of time. Okay. Typical kind of, like, Lee, get out of here. You know? Yeah. He gives a, a, a much, like warmer goodbye to Kara I think than to Lee um which is you know he's nothing if not consistent on that point um right you know uh well Kara is his daughter Um, yeah yeah uh yeah no it is kind of funny but yeah so and then you get kind of Lee like wistfully like my earliest memory of my father was him flying away on a big plane and wondering when he was coming back He's not coming back this time. Yeah. Um, and then Starbucks like, oh yeah, no, and and neither am I. And then it's like, wait, what? Um, I don't know. I just know that I'm done here. I've completed my journey, and it feels good. And like Lee goes off into like another monologue, and like then like Starbucks just gone. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Just kind of weird. Like, all right. And Do you feel compelled to, like, define what you think is going on? Or do you think it, it's just I mean, weird so, and unexplained? Or I've heard or read or whatever, like, various theories. Like, she's maybe an angel similar to you know, uh, head Baltar and head six, if you could call them that, like, Mm -hmm. um, she's human, but like was resurrected, you know, for a time being and like to like help finish leading them. Like, but I like, because God, like, And that's, so, I've been sort of holding off, like, my biggest criticism. But that seems to be just, like, Mm -hmm. because God wills it, like, is, like, the default 
sort of answer for everything. And so, like, I don't, like, you can't argue with that, especially mm-hmm. in the context of here where, like, jumping ahead, well, he doesn't like to be called that. Like, mm-hmm. like who are we, like, is this a metafictional thing, like, of God is the director? Mm-hmm. So, like, like, is this Ron? Like, right. you know, right. Ron God, said, God, the showrunner. Ron said do it, so like that's what's gonna happen. And like you can't really question it. And that I mean that's like true. Like it's just what happens in the show. So like mm-hmm. like it, we don't get an explanation. So I don't know I don't know that I can come up with any particular Yeah like thing. But do you do well, you have a thought? Because like I maybe you do. I don't know. I partly Agree and get what you mean. The only part of me, though, that, like, I guess, like, when I hear people kind of complain about, like, I don't know. Well, and I I guess I'm not, like, I don't necessarily, like, that's not even necessarily, like, my complaint with the ending isn't even, like, the because God thing, I guess. It's, it's later with the epilogue kind of stuff but so for me it's with, more like with this specifically if, i i understand people or i can understand people not liking it like wanting the answer to be something different what what doesn't feel fair to me to like this the show is the notion that this is out of nowhere because we've had head six from day one um, and other, you know, metaphysical and supernatural themes and like, you know, things throughout. So I don't think this is even the first like deus ex machina necessarily or the first aspect of like divine intervention. And I think you could say like, well, it's easier to write off like Baltar's theology of like, we don't have to believe what Baltar says about religion because of Baltar. But like we, what we do know is that we have these characters. Um, And I think you could probably make an argument that the head characters are whatever you want them to be. But I think it's harder to argue that Starbuck being one of them comes out of left field for the story because that's for me that's been built in there all along um and and they've kind of if you take that they are angels of god that's what they've been saying all along um so i don't find starbucks ending inconsistent in that way i guess um I mean, to me, that's well, why they but built it. But is she the, an angel? That, like, that's the thing. Like, so I'm going back to the question that you asked of like an explanation. Like, I don't, I don't know that I can say that she's an angel. Sure. Like, yes, we get like Baltar calling her one at some point, but again, like you just dismissed him, kind of like we don't necessarily have to believe what he says, and and sure. I don't know that we would necessarily think that he knows any more than anyone else about what or who she is like yeah 
like it could very much be more of a Lazarus situation, right? Sure. Like of of a she died kind of before her time mm-hmm. was up, and so she gets resurrected. And like like where does she go? Is she like returned to like did she get like is she a spirit? Well, I don't think so because like she acts physically, like at least right. with like but so like, does head six. Does she? Mm-hmm. She, I think that's why they built in the things like picking Baltar up where other people can see him. Like, and he weirdly like oh, moves yeah. without yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's why they start to do stuff like that is to establish like this isn't purely in his head. Like there's actual like physical interaction with the world that they can have. I guess, although... I could see an argument where that's still, like, mentally with, like, Baltar just kind of, like, moving in the way that he thinks he's being moved. You know what I mean? I guess, but I think, to me, that's going against the grain of the story. Like, I think, I don't know, when, when I see that and then have seen the ending... I think, but like, but other, like other you could say that, that, but are you trying to explain away like an answer that you just don't want to be the one? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, but like, there are times where like she slaps him, right? Like, head six slaps him. Like, is that like you could mentally feel like you're being slapped mm-hmm. and move like you're being slapped? Because you're expecting, like, that you're being slapped. And so, like... Right. Like, does that necessarily mean you were actually slapped if it's just, like, a mental thing? Well, but I think they increase over time. And they get more public. Like, I think in the beginning, it is more like... you're, You're really not sure... There's no evidence to say that it's outside of his own mind. and But that changes to me. Like... Especially rewatching it a little more carefully, like by the time you get into like season four and everything, I don't know. I feel like there's enough things that they put in to show that there's genuine physical interaction happening, um, which lays the kind of groundwork for this idea that like the head characters are genuine characters apart from. Whatever they are. Well, I, I I don't disagree that they're genuine characters apart from like Baltar, you know, Baltar and, and and whatever. Uh, but they're different. So they're different in the they're different from Starbuck in that one. They don't appear to others except at the very end. They they also like Head Baltar and Head Six both appear to real Baltar and real Caprica. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, but nobody else ever sees that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Starbuck doesn't seem to have that ability to, like, appear and not appear to people. Well, and Starbuck doesn't know what she is. Whatever she right. is, she doesn't know. Um, well, okay, so I at best she doesn't know if she has the ability to do that. Like, if she's, like, an angel that doesn't know she's an angel then like she just acts like not an angel i guess right like but but my point is that like starbuck can be something different than the two of them too sure and like 
like part of that difference is that she's always physical and present in a way that they are not. Sure. Um, I don't disagree that they're like entities outside of the head. Like, I think we definitely have enough there. So the level to the, the level to which they physically interact is, is still ambiguous to me. Like I, I don't, let me I then, don't know that we actually get a clear understanding of that. Okay. I would modify what I said slightly and say, even if you can't definitively prove that she's the same type of being that they are, I would at least say that the presence of the supernatural or, you know, if you want to call it divine or just something you know, outside the pseudoscience of the story. That's the bit that to me doesn't feel inconsistent because it's been worked in from the beginning. Like, Well, it's not, it's not outside the pseudoscience of the story. It's part of the pseudoscience of the story. Sure. Yes. The, the, the existence of divine intervention, magic, whatever you want to call it. Like, right. and they even, they even, refer to it as an entity right like it's not just like cylons and people calling out to god or the gods like it's the angelic for lack of a better term uh creatures referring to god and then saying he doesn't like to be called that so like like whatever he does like to be called there is some entity that has some kind of plan and you know purpose and ability to direct mm -hmm. action in some way right um so that makes it and so all, then all I, part of the i guess i, given, I don't disagree with that given, but i i think from I, a storytelling perspective sorry i just from a storytelling perspective for me that just becomes it, it becomes too vague and easy to sort of rely on like well because god like why is it Okay, like that's like that's fine. Like I don't disagree that that's like built in, but it's just not satisfying. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, sure. Yeah, no, and I was more, I guess, addressing like Starbuck particularly, like which you know, not well, even yeah, necessarily gone, you, but, but other people like object to you know her being whatever she is i mean um, I, like it's it's clear like it's clear that she dies like we see her body and we see her dog tags and mm -hmm. like like there's a physical death there like but what like i don't think we know enough to like pinpoint what that means does that mean no that, and i don't i don't disagree with that we does that mean that she's like a resurrected spirit who can take corporeal form does it mean she actually it like like could resurrected Starbuck die again? Like there seems to be some evidence that that might be the case. At least she seems to believe that that could be the case. Um, like personality wise, she doesn't really seem to have changed much. Um, like I don't I don't know that we get enough. It it does seem that like. Uh, what's the, the the preponderance of evidence 
suggests to me that she's something different than Head Six and Head Balto. Mm -hmm. Whatever they are. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we have a lot to say about what they are either. Sure. A little more. But, like, it seems to me that there's a big difference there. And, and, and the primary ones are the ones I already said. That, like, she seems to be primarily corporeal, whereas they are not. Mm -hmm. um, and also that she doesn't know what she actually is. Um, mm -hmm. At least until the very end. Like, I mean, at the very end, she at least seems to get a sense, at least, that she's done, right? I, yeah. I just know that I am done here. I'm, I've completed my journey, and it feels good. So, like, does that mean she dies? Like, does she turn to, like, particles and, like, go into the ether? Or does, like, that mean she gets, like, whatever right. the divine version Taken of up. me up yeah. Scotty is? Like, yeah, like, I I just don't know, like, what, yeah. what that is. And I don't, I like, I'm okay with that. Like, that's fine. Um. I would like to know, but I don't think it's like, I like that. Like when I, cause I, I am one of those who don't particularly like the ending of the show, mm -hmm. but like, that's not the reason, like Starbuck isn't the reason why. Gotcha. Like, like I'm not there. Like, like I'm okay. Like that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. Sure. Excuse me. Uh, okay, so we went all over with that. Mm -hmm. um, anything else to say about Lee? He goes and lives in his idyllic little yeah, whatever. He's gonna Who go. knows? Maybe he finds a nice Neanderthal girl eventually. <laughs> um, or whatever there. I don't know what they are at this point. Uh, Adama and Roslyn. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of get like a repeat of new caprica right like where they're kind of like off by themselves mm -hmm. enjoying the wooded area or like the not wooded but i mean i guess there's like trees and stuff around but like just kind of being off in nature with each other and that's fine and, mm -hmm. um he takes her to like what is it is it the hills or what is it that she's like looking at like oh i don't know there's like he's like oh do you want to get a closer or look? like the animals and stuff like i thought it was oh, more the like animals. flying right. low right. over to see the animals right and like you know then she dies um which sucks but you know like we know it was coming um right she gets her like moses death of like you know she's not the one to enjoy the paradise that you know, she kind right. of was the, the guide of, you know, the guide of people towards this new home that she won't get to enjoy. Um, I just want to point out, I don't feel like I've praised Mary McDonald's acting quite enough. I just want to, like, kind of say one note about, like, the physical transformation that she's able mm. to kind of go through that... Like, it's pretty amazing as you track it, like, her deterioration over the course of the series. Like, the way that, I mean, and part of that, too, is makeup and, you know. Sure. Um, well, but you know, it's and all that kind of and thing. even, like, 
like her shaking and stuff kind of at the end. Like, it's like, just really yeah. good. And But the, the way that she's able to, like, dial it up and down by degrees in any given episode based on how sick she needs to be. Like, not knowing how long the show would go over the course of four years and, like, where the story would go. I don't quite know how she did that of, like, okay in season two at this point I need to be this sick but not not the most sick because we need to save that for the end of the series whenever that is like I don't know how they kind of I don't know gauged that but she did a really good job I think of kind of keeping it on track the whole time just wanted to point that out sure all right. Um, yeah, and then Adama, like, he's building himself a house, and, like, but presumably, like, he, he's not out there mating with the Neanderthals. Right? I don't like, think so. He's, he's just kind of, like, Tyrrell. He's just kind of going off on his own to die. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Teach their own. Uh, and then, well, then Baltar and Caprica. Um, Baltar and Caprica, who end up, you know, I don't know about happily ever after, but at least they end up together. Um. So the question is, are they modeled after the angelic head six and head Capricorn, which we keep calling them head six and head Capricorn, or head, sorry, head Baltar and head Capricorn. Right. But they're not really. Sure. Right, like I mean, if 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 they're independent beings, right, they're not head characters. They're right? not head characters. That's a good point. Um, right, or is are they the modeled way, out, or, or are they just or is it like the other taking, way around? Are, are are the are the beings taking the form of Baltar and Caprica in order to like appeal to their own vanities? I think. That is a question without an answer. Like, yeah, are they, yeah, like are are they not reincarnations of them because they're separate from them? But like, are are these human slash Cylon characters, you know, in the image of these other beings, or is this a suit that the other beings are wearing? I yeah. think. That is a question that I don't think we get like a definitive one way or the other answer to. And, and if so, why are they still wearing it 150,000 years later? Sure. Well, so we know who they are, I guess. Um, well, I, right, besides that, the besides the practical like breaking yeah. the fourth wall reason. Like, right, right. Um, yeah. I don't know. And maybe that's the evidence that those are the originals. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that ending. Yeah, you're not a fan, the, huh? The epilogue. I just, so, all right. A few things. One... 
It's just so heavy-handed. Mm. Like... Sure, it it spells out what we could infer from and, the episode. And I actually think I actually think this is true throughout this episode, although it bothers me less earlier in the episode than it does at the end. Mm-hmm. But it's just like like I feel like in a number of spots it just sort of devolves into like clichés. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like like I feel like you could have gotten a lot more without the sort of running commentary from them. Mm. Like with just sort of going through the visuals of like I don't mm. know, reading an article about mitochondrial Eve and like letting people kind of put two and two together mm-hmm. or like <laughs> oh and with her Cylon parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, did you really have to call that out specifically? Um, and yeah, and just like, maybe this time it'll be different. Um, but then, like, it goes and, like, it shows all the robots and, like, clearly, like, implying that it's not. And so, I don't know. I just feel like, there was a lot of effort to be like cleverer than they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So that's all. That's all I got. I guess I don't. Sure. Any any thoughts there or any? I mean, responses? I I don't know. I I don't know. This episode is quite strange. Sure. Is all. And like like well, a lot of other also... things in it, it it it, intri- it bugs me in some ways and intrigues me in others. Like I kind of agree that the commentary does, you know, maybe make it more explicit than it needs to be, but then perhaps the whole epilogue makes it more explicit than it needs to be. And you could have just left it with there among the tribes in Africa and you can kind of put all the pieces together on your own. Mm. I I think I kind of like the mystery of the head characters. Um you know, of of not of getting kind of hints of what they are, but not really ever really knowing what they are. So part of me kind of likes that they're involved, that like it just keeps this thread going of these two weird I don't know. There's a weirdness sure. to it that I like of they just continue on as they are. And we and still don't really know who they are and like what their motive is. And, and so there's something may- kind of cheeky about that to me that I like a little bit. Um, maybe just even having them walking through. Sure. Like, and not commercialism, decadence, technology run amok. Right. Like, like restating. Like, like you yes, don't- these are the themes of the show. Like. Let's summarize I, what we've learned here. Yeah. I could almost see like a parallel there between when they're on Caprica originally and like walking through and then like the six, you know, mm. breaks the little baby's neck. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like this could be like almost the parallel of that without mm-hmm. the neck breaking. Right. Right. Like, 
of just like walking through and seeing like what's going on and mm-hmm. how things are progressing in the world and like yeah maybe with no dialogue whatsoever like would have even just been a better yeah. sort of thing right retain the imagery without the exposition i guess right and then is... having them sort of fade into like the crowd or something like sure right right uh, whatever mm-hmm. but yeah right. no and maybe that would have like i they could have found a more like i don't know what adjective to use but a less kind of on the nose way of yep. doing and leaning. I think to me, that's what works in the, about the epilogue is, is the kind of weirdness of it. So maybe leaning more into that of like, we have all the information we need really in the rest of the episode. And so less of just telling us what we've already sort of figured out and more of kind of throwing the, you know, just the image of of those characters in our contemporary world and kind of letting that sort of speak for itself maybe would have been a little bit less, like, I don't know, heavy-handed, as you said. Right. So, and I feel like that kind of is my overall feeling about the finale is... There's ideas that I like. I don't know that the execution was always the most subtle or interesting. Um, And at times it's a little hard to understand kind of what they're going for. But I don't like, I don't completely hate it the way that some people do. Like, I know there's definitely, you know, a a camp of thought that kind of says, like, this is one of those terrible betrayal finales that undoes the history of, like, I I never really feel like that about finale, but I don't feel like that about this one. Um, I've definitely seen, like, it's the worst ending of a TV show, like, ever. And it's like, Four years of my life, I'll never get back. Those kinds of reactions. Um, Yeah, I, I don't really think those are ever very useful as a reaction but like i don't think this ending necessarily like ruins or undoes anything that comes before i think it's a it's a kind of a mediocre episode like it's it's fine it's not the worst episode they ever did but it's certainly not the best you know um Mm -hmm. and i think it's you know this is no excuse, but endings are hard. I think the tension between we want explanations and answers, but not too much is probably like one of the hardest lines to walk in ending like a a show. Um, Sure. So I think it's a little, they're a little bit damned if they do, damned if they don't. But, you know, that doesn't mean we can't criticize. All right, well, we have gone over we sure did. a little bit, um, and we're going to have two more episodes to talk about BSG um, to wrap up season four as a whole, right? And then uh, also to talk about the plan and wrap up the series as mm-hmm. a whole, 
Yep. So um, we'll undoubtedly revisit some of these things, but we should move on for now to Buffy. Yeah. Um, and right at the beginning, I know we didn't really plan uh, any production notes, but I did want to note two things real quick. Um, one is this is a Jane Espenson episode. Mm. It's it's not the last episode that she has a hand in writing in, but it is her last episode where she's the only writer. Okay. Um, the solo writer. So um, she will have a co-writer credit. Uh, in a later episode um, but just wanted to bring that up and also um, I, I know we don't really acknowledge the directors that often but mm-hmm. wanted to note here uh, Marita Grabiek Grabiek I don't know I don't know how to pronounce her last name um, who uh, it appears has like directed episodes of like nearly every TV show since 1986, to, <laughs> like present day, um, at least one episode, but um, including uh, notably BSG. Oh. Um, she did uh, the episode Water way back in season one. Oh, uh, okay. Or was that season? Yeah, that was season yeah, one. Yeah, that was like one yeah. of the first episodes. Yeah. Right. It's like during that period early on where it's like, oh, we ran out of water. We have to find water. Right. Oh, we the, ran out of bullets. The, we got to find The scarcity of resources yeah. period of um, the show. So uh, one of those episodes. But yeah, so she um, apparently began working on uh, a film like back in 1986 with Tim Minear. Um and that's how she kind of got pulled into a lot of Joss Whedon stuff. And so she's actually, uh, we've already seen episodes that she's directed of Angel. Um, and she'll go on to direct several other episodes. Um, one other of Buffy and, and several more in Angel. And mm-hmm. she also directed episodes of Firefly and Dollhouse. Um, and a bunch of others. She did an episode of Lost and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So, uh mm-hmm. Just wanted to kind of mention mention her. She seems like someone who uh, has done had had her had her hand in in various episodes of a lot of different TV shows. And uh, um, oh, she also did an episode of Bones, apparently. So another uh, David Boreanaz link there. Um, but yeah, just uh, just thought I'd throw that out there that um, we don't always acknowledge new directors but this is her first Buffy episode so figured it'd be worth uh, mentioning yeah interesting um yeah and this is so I kind of want to start from I guess more that that bird's eye point of view that you know the directing in this episode is very important not that it's not always but um you know, this is one of those kind of concept episodes with um, with a, a device, you know, like a, a frame that borders the story and gives it some structure and makes it kind of weird and unique and memorable and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and from like a directing point of view, there's a lot of different visual styles that she has to incorporate here, you know, depending yeah. on between... So there's at least 
three different layers that I can think of, if not more. There's the kind of just, you know, I guess what's objectively real, like the camera as we normally see it every week. Right, um, as like the viewer's eye. Yeah, right. And then there's um, Andrew's documentary camera. Um, sure. Like his camcorder version of things with his sort of narration, voiceover narration on top. And then there's like the Andrew point of view interiority level of things where we go mm. either into his kind of visualization of what he's seeing, you know, contemporaneously, you know, like how he sees the characters around him in the situation. And then also his own memories, which seem to have some differences from history <laughs> as we saw it. Um, yeah. And again, if we're assuming that what we see is generally objective truth, then I think we have to assume that his memories are the problem, not, not ours. Right. Um, well, and we even get at least one instance of that where, like, Buffy calls him out on, like, you literally just changed your entire story. Right. You You contradicted yourself because she she brings up something that hadn't occurred to him before that makes right. it a better story. A, yeah. a new, right. A new like way of recontextualizing his right. actions. Right. That's right. superior to his, you know, his is already inaccurate, but she may, she comes up with a better version, which immediately like, you know, supersedes his own. So yeah, I kind of wanted to start with that of, of the frame of, Andrew as the storyteller, I guess, both unwittingly kind of rewriting the the past in his own memories, but also like intentionally as this documentarian of like the final Slayer effort. Um, and the way that he kind of puts that as like a public service, like... This is something that he's passing on for posterity that like people will know who you are, what you did. There's a record of it, um, you know, both to kind of help people learn from it practically, but also in a, in a darker way, kind of a record of it. Like, should you all die, there'll be some physical evidence left behind of the you know you fought the good fight and you know did everything you could and here now you can have this like proof of your own legacy to sort of hand on mm. um why he thinks he's the one to do this isn't necessarily stated i guess this is part of it seems like implied eventually that like this is part of his whole like redemption quest, right? Like he's been hanging around. He's contributed a bit. Like he does come up with information every so often. That's useful. He's made the big board. Mm -hmm. He bakes cookies, but this is like the first, like really proactive attempt to like do something, I guess that's like a contribution. Um, 
not that anybody else wants him to do this. Like he comes up with this plan of, of making a documentary and recording everything. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, so I think, you know, part of it is, it's interesting because I think on the one hand it's to, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would see his um, recording as like part of the redemption process, but it's more like removing, like, like he's been sort of captured and put aside by Buffy and team. Right. So like, he's kind of like marginalized. And I think maybe this is part, part of his way of like, feeling like he's still a part of things, mm. even though he's not really. Um, but there's also like, like sort of the inverse of that is like, it's a way, it is, it's a way for him to actually like be in the story as someone who's like supposedly just writing down the story. Right. Cause like, like what story doesn't have like authorial, you know, mm -hmm. interjection of some kind, like right. even, even like, even to the point of like, oh, I'm just recording the facts. Like, well, you record the things that you see as facts. Like you, re you choose what the facts are to be recorded mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Like there's like, even in choosing what to record, you're, you know, putting your stamp on it, so to speak. Um, and right, we get there's that always moment. some sort of narrative voice yeah. that's guiding things to a certain extent. Um, he talks to, like, um, when, when they're, like, questioning him about his, like, time in Mexico, and, like, he gets annoyed and he's like, I'm not a part of this. I document. I don't participate. I'm a detached journalist recording with a neutral eye. Like mm -hmm. even that, like you can see, like he's like, he's telling himself that he's not like his way of being part of the story is like by not being part of the story, mm -hmm. kind of, you know what I mean? Like he, he's already, he's got all of these different sort of, um, roles and like uh, uh sort of archetypes for like all the participants in the story and his archetype is that he's the detached journalist recording with a neutral eye um you know we don't see his own sort of like hair in the fan moment like mm -hmm. we do with Buffy and Spike and Anya and whatever but like that would be it right like that's kind of like his you know, one line, like, description of who his character in this mm. tale is. Um, right. So, and, and it's a yeah. way for him, and maybe this is just restating what you've already said, but it's a way for him to be involved without being involved. With, like, having yeah. his cake and eating it, too, of wanting to not just be marginalized and be left out of the group and just sit around and not participate but also you know i think by the end of the episode he's much more involved in a like you know in a very direct way you kind of realize that's not really what he wants he doesn't 
really, he's not looking for a way to get involved that actually puts him on the front line. Um, so this is a way for him to contribute, but also kind of feeling as though he's safe behind, you know, the, the, the glass of his camera lens. Um, you know, which I mean, not to get too like highfalutin about it, but like there are arguments about that of in situations should documentarians be, you know, getting interfering or not. Like if you see people in danger or you see, you know, an animal in distress or something like what is your what if it's an endangered animal? What's your responsibility to save its life or to just like and and that is a. You know, if like, I don't think Andrew's making like an amazing documentary here, but if his job, if we take it seriously, if his job is to leave a record of what they're doing and we have to presume that they all, you know, think we're going to not survive this is basically what Buffy says at the end. And I think that's what they're all kind of thinking. Yeah. Then that is a question of like, should we be leaving a record behind? Do we have a responsibility to do that to whoever survives, you know? Um, mm. And what if that comes in conflict with, you know, the actual fight that we're supposed to be having? Um, although I don't think that's, I mean, Andrew's mostly afraid. Like, I don't think he's not like, he's not staying objective because he's an ethical movie maker. He's right staying out of it because he doesn't want to die. <laughs> like, you know, this is a very safe role, he thinks, for him to kind of find. Sure. In well, and it, I mean, it just fits his personality too of and so i think I'll, you sort of nailed uh one of the things why why i think that buffy is so annoyed is because it is his sort of like he's he isn't actually doing it to document mm. right like he's doing it because it gives him an excuse to not participate mm. Um, to not really fully participate. Like, right. like there's always been a part of Andrew that, you know, like we saw with Warren and then with the first and, and, you know, sort of what he confronts here is his inability to sort of like just make a decision on his own. And like, mm -hmm. like if you're going to be evil, be evil. And if you're going to be good, be good. But like, he just always sort of follows yeah. whoever is in charge or you know whoever he's sort of drawn to um we've seen it with him like trying to dress like spike you know we've seen it with uh you know his just kind of like worship of warren and and just kind of like being willing to do whatever he says which what makes him vulnerable to the first um so yeah he, i think he wants to he craves involvement but right. does not refuses to handle responsibility 
of any kind right. for any dis even when he right. makes decisions which is rare he he finds excuses to get out of the consequences of them and and so the documentary like even like you know the name right like buffy slayer of the vampires the like higher yeah yeah like there's this there's this like falseness to it like mm -hmm. there's just this like i don't even know how to describe it but just like a insincerity even mm. in in doing it that like like others it, 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 kind of the kitchen conversation there is kind of funny because like the others are kind of like oh actually like it might not be a bad idea to you know have kind of a record and buffy's like am i the only one who like sees this is like wrong or yeah. whatever and i think what she's putting her finger on is is that idea that like it's not a true documentary it's not mm. it's not like like even if even if every documentary or every story has some kind of editorial mm -hmm. purpose, the editorial purpose here is kind of to make Andrew look better. Sure. Not to actually like document like what's going on and to, you know, try to help the fight or, or really give any kind of true knowledge because everything he says is like fake or like, uh, uh, you know, mythologized to such yeah. an extent that like it's just not yeah it's not real well and i think we've had we've certainly seen his kind of i guess delusional or idealistic view of things before although not like literally until now like i think we've from the way he's told stories we can see that he can rewrite history pretty easily. But here, I think we kind of see kind of how literal that is and like almost unconscious. Like, I, I think the implication is not even so much that he's like deliberately lying as much as he, or he lies to himself. It's not like a crafted, um, you know, I know what the truth is, but I'm going to spin it in such a way that convinces other people. It's he, his entire, you know, view of the world is, you know, inaccurate and mythologized and rose colored, like you said. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up too is, um, I guess connecting with Jane Espenson, um, it's kind of an inversion of, um, what was that episode? Um, with Jonathan. Shoot. Superstar. Superstar. Um, hmm. it, or I don't know if inversion is quite right, but I think there's a similarity of, Okay, like putting a spotlight on like a more minor character for one thing, which is kind of trademark Espenson. Um, and then the fact that it's another one of the trio. Um, and then sure. it becomes about how that person 
views the world. And maybe it is an inversion because I feel like Jonathan kind of knows the truth. He just kind of wants to live in this world and creates a world where, you know, the world is as he wishes it was. Whereas I think like Andrew doesn't really have any impact on the world, but he lives in an alternate world. That's like, right. like different he's the than only the one, one in an alternate world. Right. Like, and in his like idealized, you know, view, he's completely convinced of it until the end anyway. Um, but like nobody else's, it has no effect on, you know, any, so I, it's kind of funny. I don't know whether she, meant that or not but i think it's a kind of interesting parallel between the two episodes hmm. i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that was a, uh, you know given given her writing ability and you know her her own yeah. ability to tell a story yeah um that wouldn't surprise me at all and yeah uh who better to do it with than like one of Jonathan's like compatriots. Right. right. Um, also, just a brief note. Um, this isn't really a spoiler because of the way that like production can happen. Um, but the the scenes where they're sort of dancing around as gods um, <laughs> is uh, Danny Strong's last. Uh, final scenes that he shot for the series um now does that necessarily mean we won't see him in a future episode maybe maybe not because like you know sometimes episodes are not shot in the right order or, you know whatever but um just thought that right. was an interesting little tidbit and and sort of appropriate that um while jane espenson didn't introduce the character she certainly made him mm -hmm. what he what he turned out to be so mm -hmm. uh kind of an a nice little send off there. Yeah. Um, we are gods. We are gods. We are as gods. And and wasn't Jonathan just the cutest thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. Um, I mean, I guess on that note, are there any other like specific like comedy moments or like little character moments to point out about his like different scenes or memories um of who jonathan or andrew or both or uh, andrew any? but like andrew's yeah like his worldview um well like like the fact that he puts the knife in the utensil drawer <laughs> like yeah i mean it was i cleaned it yeah like i cleaned it and we needed yeah. more knives like yeah, <laughs> yeah. um um no, I I think I mean I it, like there's one moment and and it sort of plays with like the diegetic stuff like you can't like think too much about it cuz it it plays sure. with the fourth wall stuff a little. Yeah. But like um what there's like one moment where it like it cuts real briefly to like him the cor camcorder and he's just kind of nodding. I don't even remember what it is that he's nodding about, but like it's like something that Buffy says or something and it like just cuts to him and he's like, yeah. or no, he taps, right? He taps on the hell mouth. Oh, um, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of, I think he's nodding at the same time as he does that. And it's just kind of like, I don't know. There's a lot of little moments like that. Mm -hmm. um, or, or like, 
his comment about, you know, um, you know, seeing what the girls left for, for breakfast. Um, what does he call him? Oh, shoot. I, I didn't write down the exact quote. Now I forget what it is, but just the way he phrases that. Um, it's mm. funny. I don't think uh, I wrote it down either. Maybe a little more um, meaningful, though, is I really like, like, I like and find it funny <laughs> that he, like, has watched the scene of the interview with, well, there's not really interview. It's like the, uh, oh, uh, the, the, the candid scene with Anya and right. Xander so many times that he's like mouthing the words right. as they like profess their declarations of still loving each other. Right. right. Um, I think, and that like that to me, I think it, it's funny, but I think it also highlights his sort of, capital R romantic, although it's also like this lowercase standard romantic, maybe mm-hmm. um, ideas of like what a story is and like, mm-hmm. you know, turning, turning everything into sort of like this idealized moment, um, you know, about like, you know, this is the redemption of the love between Xander and Anya, and, you know, he brought it out and like, mm-hmm. like, I feel like that's the sort of thing that he did. I also, I have to wonder just like stepping back a minute to like, how much is like Jane Espenson maybe poking fun at Joss Whedon in any of this? Mm-hmm. Like, can we like, is, is Andrew sort of a, a totem or a, you know, a, a stand in for Whedon, mm-hmm. <laughs> like as, as the director of the series. Is there anything um, specific that makes you No, I don't like like, that? like but I could just see that being like like her throwing some things in and actually I don't know if there's a commentary on this episode if if there is I would definitely want to go back and listen to it to just see if there's any maybe like moments where you know there's just like like maybe a quirk or something that Andrew does that like is a typical Whedon sort of mm. thing but I don't I don't know that there is like I haven't seen anything on that um but just a moment of curiosity hmm. uh, there yeah um yeah well I hadn't really thought of that kind of self-referential aspect but it is hard to imagine a writer writing a episode called storyteller and not having some sense of like this uh, is what I do self-reference as you're doing it you know um so yeah I don't know I maybe that gives her a bit of empathy for Andrew of you know of how it's hard not to get caught up in the story as you're telling it and and using the story as a way to make sense of things um which isn't a bad thing I think that's kind of what we use stories for um but I I mean Andrew obviously takes it to a pretty dangerous extreme of like you know Buffy's thing at the end of you make everything into a story so no one's responsible for anything because they're just following a script Mm -hmm. um and so 
yeah, I'm not sure like whether there's any like metafictional commentary there or if that's more just a comment on Andrew. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, we can keep talking through. I can't think of anything else sort of off the top of my head. I mean, um, um, I guess the the only last like specific like moment which you kind of alluded to, I just wanted to point out again um, with Jonathan's murder is the way that like there are it, it, that was an interesting part to me where he changes the story halfway through where. Um, mm. You know, it it first is more a kind of uh, accidental thing of Jonathan. He got upset. He attacked. There was a struggle. You know, things happened. It wasn't, you know, I did it, but I wasn't, it wasn't intentional. Um, it wasn't cold-blooded or whatever. Um, and then it's kind of Buffy's suggestion of, oh, I've seen people possessed that makes you go, hmm, that's even better because then I'm like really not responsible for it. And he kind of switches the story halfway through. Um, kind of pointing out the extent to which he really wants to not face the truth about his own choices and actions. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's easy to condemn him, but like, Again, I think that's an extreme example, but probably we all do stuff like that of rewrite our own memories of interactions we had in ways that make us seem a little bit less responsible for things. Sure. I mean, no, I've never done that. Not that we would admit it if we did. Um, Okay, so I kind of want to bring in Buffy a little bit here um, because I don't think she ends up contradicting any of the criticisms that she makes of Andrew throughout the episode. Um, but there is the kind of twist at the end that she is telling a story herself and, and using it to trick him, right? Um, like she creates this scenario and kind of manipulates him into doing what she needs him to do. Um, and maybe kind of sensing the insincerity of everything um, mm. that you were kind of saying, the story has to be convincing. Like he has to really believe it. She has to go as much as she can to convince him that she's about to kill him and sacrifice him to close the seal or else his tears won't be real. Um, so it's, you know, again, I don't, we, we called Buffy a hypocrite last time. I don't think she's being hypocritical in this episode, but there's an irony to her use of like a fictional story. Um, but I guess the difference being that she knows her story's fictional, you know, like she's not deluding herself. She's, you know, telling a, a, an, an intentional fiction to get Andrew to feel something and to learn something and to grow a little bit. So it's, 
using stories, I guess, as they're supposed to be used rather than kind of living it as Andrew is. So, so is this like, is this the, so like, you know, Tolkien, um, in, on various stories, I think, right. talks about like, sort of complains that people always call stories escapist. Is this like the bad escapist, you know, that Andrew does like, that is maybe a legitimate criticism of sure. storytelling. Right. He's the, it's the flight of the deserter. Right. Like you, you versus the, the flight of the prisoner. That's the contrast. Like what kind of escape are you talking about? Um, so yeah, Andrew's the one who's fleeing from truth. Um, Whereas Buffy is expressing truth through a fiction. Like she's using the escape of of this kind of made-up scenario in order to get Andrew to acknowledge true things. Um, sure. So yeah, no, I think that's a good a good contrast. Um, the yeah. Well, and what's interesting, like, is that she, she does so in a way that would almost be, you would almost think would be amenable to his style of storytelling of like the sort of exaggeration and mm -hmm. like focusing on like the sort of idealization of like, you know, these things that are like momentous and important um like saying like when your blood pours out it might save the world what do you think about that does it buy it all back are you redeemed like but you could totally see that like narrative as something that like andrew would say is like you know about someone else like oh their blood pours out and it saved the world mm. it, you know everything is redeemed but like in the moment, like in the reality of the moment of like facing actual death, he's like, no. And of course, the reason is because it's like you can't be redeemed from that, right? Like that's not something that you can take back, mm -hmm. um, killing, you know, your best friend. And and admitting that he knew and that was that he was even pretending about Warren and the first. Like right. He knew it wasn't him and he killed Jonathan anyway. He, you know, I, I pretended, I thought it was him, but I knew, I knew it wasn't. Um, yeah. 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 Right. Admitting his own weaknesses. Um, yeah. Um, and this just, this parallel just occurred to me, but, um, I even, I like the, um, the fact that with the seal, it, it is tears that close it rather than, you know, the kind of blood for blood side of it, of like, you need the tears of the person who sacrificed the, the other person. So like, does, is it like remorse? Is it you know, grief, it, 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 you know, and that makes me um, think of in Harry Potter, that's the only way to 
undo a horcrux is you have to have you have to have the the true pain of recognizing what you've done um mm. i feel like it's a similar idea of like you know you have to get the right you know that particular person here and you can't force them to do it they have to genuinely you know show grief for what they've done so it's kind of a nice little symbolism there yeah um anything else with andrew and I, I have something else to say about like the whole seal situation but um i don't know if there's anything else about like andrew specifically i guess maybe let's finish up the ending where he um buffy says people are gonna die girls me probably or no me and then probably you um yeah which is you know a funny moment to us but andrew obviously doesn't find that quite so funny and you know takes that very seriously in the end um uh it doesn't even really finish his thought when he says i don't even think i'm gonna live through it that's uh probably the way it should be i guess i and then he just sort of trails off and shuts off the camera like you know whatever whatever he guesses we're not we don't get to hear the end of that sentence um sure yeah so i mean we all know Whedon likes to kill people off. Sure. Well, and I mean, maybe up until now, you know, his, I feel like for all, for all Jonathan's goofiness, we knew him well enough that his death means something when it happens. Like you feel sure. some sympathy and some impact. Are are we just ripening, you know, uh, well, Andrew for the harvest? Or Is least, that what you're saying? At least enough that you might worry about him a little bit. Like, at least where it becomes, yeah. where you're not just, like, waiting for him to be comically sort of dispatched at some point. Where, like, at least the possibility that you might care <laughs> is introduced. Like, you know, not yeah. that we didn't care about him at all, but, like, making him, you know, adding some sympathy back in so that, you know you can at least be a little bit concerned that maybe well, he won't make it through. And, and I think, I think there is a sort of talking to the audience here too, of like, you realize you like, you all know that Buffy is ending, right? right. Like, and we haven't had any like major deaths in a while. Yeah. And the big war is coming. And you might want to be prepared for, like, the fact that maybe not everyone will make it. And that might include Buffy. Right. Like, like there's... I know you know that season eight exists, so, like, I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. Yeah. But, like... But she's that come doesn't back from mean, the dead before. Like, she's already been revived twice. Yeah. Like, she could still die another horrific death. Like... You know, all 
all uh, cards are on the table here. Like yeah. we're, you know, there's potential to kill anyone and everyone off, including some of the Scoobies, including some of the like allies who aren't quite Scoobies, but like who we still might be inclined to like, like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So like, I think there's also a, a sense there too of like, Buffy's kind of telling us as viewers, like, to not tell each other stories. Like, sure. Like, we're not all going to make it. And well, so, and they keep saying that, you know, episode after episode for the last few of like saying, like, right. people are going to die. People like, are going to die. Like, if you make it to the season finale and aren't prepared for someone to die, like, yeah. then you've not been watching properly. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, at this point, it's going to be like sitting there rubbing my hands going, all right, who's it going to be? You know, <laughs> like put your put your chips and your bets yeah, down. Yeah, put your and, wagers you in know, See where your guesses come out. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of the stuff with Buffy and the school and the Hellmouth is like, you know, plot and action and that kind of thing. But um, there was one aspect of it that I wanted to point out, which is when she explains to Principal Wood how the metaphor of the week works, which I found pretty amusing. Like for her to go through, um, like literally explaining that out loud just kind of cracked me up. So she says, there's this thing that happens here where the way a thing feels it starts kind of being that way for real. Um, and I've seen yeah. all this before, just not all at once. And it's like, I don't think they ever really articulated that before. Like the characters acknowledging that, like the, obviously they know that crazy stuff happens on a regular basis, but sure. like her own awareness of like, it has to do with the feeling of being in high school. Um, and it's yeah. an externalization of struggles that you're normally dealing with internally. Um, kind of a, a, a neat full circle moment to like bring us back to season one when that was like high school is hell, the bread yeah. and butter of, you know, and even like the girl that disappears, like it's like literally the same, like, Oh, I know what this is. You know, like she's shy and just needs to like, you know, have her confidence boosted and that kind of thing. Um, yep. So anyway, that just kind of struck me as funny to hear her point it out. Yeah. Well, and it's sort of like a parallel to like, yeah, well, it's a little early. It's not quite May yet. Like, you know, <laughs> that this stuff is happening. Like, um, was that, that was just last episode, right? Like where, where we get like the the timing of when stuff usually goes down at the school. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. Um um I, no and I and I agree like a lot of the high school and uh whatever stuff is uh more plot driven um but I do want to so when uh you know when they go into the school 
I mean, I guess we were talking about Spike later, but like just while we're talking about the like mm-hmm. the seal and the tears and all that, like while Buffy's in doing what she does with Jonathan, or sorry, with Andrew, and you know, getting him to shed a tear, um, you have like Spike and Robin mm. on their own, you know, fighting vampires and we're kids, actually, isn't it? Right, like it's right. They're like possessed by the seal, I guess. right? And so. Um, yeah, you get a moment with Robin looking like he's about to stake Spike. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah, and earlier, even the moment with Buffy, where he, granted, is possessed, but also, like, you kind of get that this is at least a logical extension of something he might be thinking anyway, you know, about... Mm. You know, you're with that vampire filthy horror, and it's like, whoa, okay. Um, so, yeah. I, I, those two moments together have me worried about him. Like, I don't think he's like a villain. I don't think he's a big bad or going to turn out to be like evil, but definitely not an unconflicted good guy who could do some damage depending on circumstances, you know, like whether that's to Buffy or to Spike or whatever. Um, so yeah, like we're, we're and, not all going to make it. No. And, um, or, or, I mean, or vice versa, like try sure. to do something that ends up getting himself killed. Sure. So you know, when, when yeah. they need all of the right. allies they can get. Right. So those those moments definitely have me like on my toes a bit about where his story is going to go. Um, so. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we sort of alluded to Xander and Anya before. Didn't actually get into the details of what they talk about. And I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time. Mm-hmm on them um but yeah like (laughs) i do i do like how like andrew just sort of launches into like accusing xander right question one is why did you leave her at the altar yeah yeah um yeah um but yeah like uh, you know i think there's you i think you pointed out already that like there does seem to be sort of a reconnection happening mm-hmm. uh, between the two of them. Um, they certainly reconnect mm-hmm. or interlock uh, right. in this episode mm-hmm. for the first time in a while. Um, but right. like, right. Also, but also, also what is neither of them seem to want to read anything into that. Um, and, and with Xander still sort of saying like that he did the right thing. Right. That, you know, you know, of course he doesn't think it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. Like, mm-hmm. uh, if I had married you, it would have been against everything I thought was best. It wouldn't have worked. Um, and Anya saying, you know, we still spark. I get jealous of you. You get jealous of me. You still love me. Um, but, you know, 
her her definition of love as like mutual jealousy might not be <laughs> the best, but like definitely there still seems to be feelings on both mm-hmm. sides. Um and admitting that they love each other, but that love, unlike the Beatles song, might not be all they need. <laughs> um Right. So what else would they need, I guess, is a question. Like, what is it? Yeah, if, or, it if if we, maybe Anya's definitions are wrong and they don't really love each other and that's the problem. Or if they do, what what is it? What's missing? What's holding them back? Yeah, um, or, or are they telling themselves stories? Sure. Just like everyone else seems to be. Right. Like, and if so, you know, which is the story and which is the truth, you know? Um, yeah. Is it different for each of them or are they secretly on the same page? They just don't know how to express that um, one way or the other, either to break up for good or to get back together. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, we will have to watch in future episodes to see how or if that develops. But it does, I mean, they do come away both sort of saying it felt like a last time, right? Right, right. So, Maybe we're really over and, and they can move on. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. There's a lot of maybes. Yeah. Um, Willow and Kennedy seem to be also connecting, (laughs) connecting at the lips primarily. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that, uh, when Andrew comes in and he's like, Oh, this is interesting. And then it's like, look at the jobs Andrew did on fixing the window. (laughs) Yep. Uh, it's kind of funny, but yeah, I mean, again, not much to say there other than noticing that like whatever problems they were having seems mm-hmm. to be uh gone by the wayside yeah um yeah and then i don't really have a lot for spike and dawn they get little vignettes with andrew but um <laughs> spike redoing Spike's, his threat yeah. in better lighting is pretty funny um yeah yeah so yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know that there's anything important in either of those other than just that Andrew sort of I so he does seem to be like playing on like each of their uh vanities or whatever like yeah to get them, you know, right, like to get them to cooperate. He's kind of yeah. yeah each of them is being put in the light and, that they want to be seen in. Right. And it is interesting that, like, again, going back to that kitchen scene where Buffy's sort of really annoyed and everyone's like, well, maybe it's not so bad. It kind of keeps it, it keeps Andrew out of the way. Like, yeah. and and like, maybe it's not bad to have a record. And, you know, like with Anya, he's like, well, you know, I I need your balanced perspective. And she's like, I can give you that. Like yeah. Anya, like one of the least 
you know, one of the most opinionated for, I almost at least balanced that gives a different impression, but like one of right. the most opinionated people, like, right. of not, the group. not balanced in, she's not necessarily the first to consider things from the other point of view. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah I don't, good. I don't, I don't have a ton to say about them either, but, um, Definitely, yeah. So, I mean, as with anything, like, it remains to be seen, like, how much of the lesson that Andrew learned in this episode will will stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, definitely, at least the end, by the end of the episode, seems to be thinking differently than he, he was at the beginning. So, yeah. Uh, presumably, that's better. I guess we will see. We'll find out. Uh, but not next week. Or we, or the week after. Or the week after. Right? Oh, How gosh. many was yeah, it? Yeah, three. Three episodes <laughs> we have, of Angel. We have three episodes of Angel. Which, which you say so, you know, sort of depressed. Like, but I mean, Angel's a good show. Like, do you not? Do you not like him? It's like, easier to like when it's not making me wait three weeks for a new Buffy episode. But sure, no, I we left Angel on a pretty good cliffhanger, so um, yeah, I'm yeah. I am interested to see what the heck is going on there. Um, well, yeah, yeah, we uh, right. So we've got I've got a lot to talk about next time. Uh, with Angel and our season four recap of BSG. Sounds good. See you then.